thank you for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms and on the YouTube channel, The Subtext. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast indeed. How are you this week? Yeah, I'm alright. I am uh, had a week off, now I'm back at work. Um, so I'm just settling back in. Didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> so I'm just trying to survive. How about you? I'm good. I've got off about five days of being glued to my TV, watching American news networks, following the oh, yeah. um, Me following too. the U.S. election, which has been an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm glad that's over and I can just get back to normal life and not watching that because it was certainly something that I won't forget um, very soon. Okay, so. This week we are discussing Undertale. So as we mentioned last week, this is a game that I think we were both somewhat intrigued by, weren't we? Um, Yeah. So this game comes in at number 97 on our list with an aggregate score of 93. It originally came out in September 2015 for PC. However, the version that we're reviewing... Um, and the score that we're up against is for the Switch release, which came out in 2018. So, like we said, aggregate score of 93. It's a top-down RPG that was mostly made by one person, uh, a guy called Toby Fox, over a few years. And we'll get into kind of his inspirations and kind of where he drew a lot of the artwork and a lot of the themes from it. So, so question for you. Yeah, go on. Um, so the score of 93, is that for the Switch version or the, the PC version, just out of curiosity? The Switch version. So the PC oh. version and the PS5 version comes in at 92. The PS5 version? PS4 version even. I think it's because we were just talking about the PS5 <laughs> before we started. Getting ahead of yourself, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but no, aggregate score of 92 for the PC version. Okay, the that's PS4. interesting. So the Switch comes in highest for some reason. Probably because of the well, portability, it's, it's an ideal yeah, console for it, I think. Yeah, definitely. But the question that we'll start with, as we usually do, is what's your background with this game? Um, Nothing really, apart from uh, I saw it was being released on the Switch back in, must have been 2018. Yeah, it was 2018. And I saw it, I saw it on a Nintendo Direct, and when it finally was released, I bought it. And I hadn't got around to playing it, so I already had this on my Switch, but I was just waiting for an opportunity to play it, so this is perfect for that. Um, Apart from that, didn't really know a tremendous amount about it, apart from I've obviously heard it's been well-reviewed, and it's got lots of fans. Um, So yeah, coming in very, very cold on this one. How about you? Yeah, pretty similar. I didn't know too much about this game coming in. I'd never played it before. I, because I follow a lot of gaming stuff quite closely, particularly on Twitter and Reddit, I knew that a lot of stuff from Undertale had been quite heavily memed, especially uh, one of the characters, Sans. So I knew that this game has a bit of a, a cultish feel about it. It's got a very strong fan base that like to do a lot of different things with the art and with the, the characters and the themes. So I knew that it's got quite a big pop culture prevalence. 
but I'd never played it before. I'd seen some footage. I've seen a few bits and bobs on YouTube. And like you, I've seen that it's, you know, it's always very well reviewed. And I knew that it was probably going to be quite a quirky game. But other than that, I didn't really know much about it. It's it's a funny little game because it's it's like a 16... Is it 8-bit eight, eight or 16-bit kind of uh, art style? So... I think it's 16-bit. It must it? be... It must be... I mean, 16-bit was Super Nintendo, 8-bit was uh, Nintendo NES. Entertainment System. Yeah, looking at it, it must be 16-bit with all the colours and that. Yeah, so it, I'd it's, imagine it's a, it's an aesthetically interesting. I mean, game. it's probably it's probably not actually either. It's probably a bit in between because it's quite blocky. I think a lot of 16-bit games were more detailed than this, but it's it's probably somewhere in between 8-bit and 16-bit if I were to have a guess. Yeah, well, I mean, the the aesthetic of it really brings us to looking at the inspirations. But before we get that, you've already said where you've played this. You played it on the Switch, didn't you? Yeah. Same here. Um, I've got it on the PS4 as well, but I've never never played it on there. So I also played it mostly in portable mode. Um, well, I say mostly in portable mode, entirely in portable mode. Um, did you have it in docs mode at all for it, or were you just portable as well? I played I played about half in portable mode, and then I played the other half in docked mode. Um, docked mode gave me the opportunity to listen to the fantastic soundtrack, and it's just nice of playing it on a pro controller sometimes. I think that's why I never really play games in dock mode because I don't have a pro controller. I've just got the um, I love the controller that you get with I... the with the switch where you stick the Joy Con. Yeah, into. which isn't great. No, it's. It's alright, and I, d- I don't mind playing a few games on dock mode, but I think when it comes to playing games like Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, when we eventually get to those, I'll, I'll probably need to pick up a pro controller because I want to experience yeah. those on my TV. Um, Definitely, yeah. So yeah, we touched on the aesthetics and what it kind of looks like in regards to the older gaming systems. So I think that brings us quite well to discuss the inspirations of this game. Now, before you and me really did much research into it just when we started playing it we both commented that we both got a bit of a mother kind of vibe from it which um yeah games like earthbound and it's i've never played the mother series but i've always known that earthbound is a very very well respected game it's highly regarded and all I really know about it is that there's the character Ness, who was in the Super Smash Brothers games. But there's quite a few other inspirations that you can pick up with Undertale. And it's very closely knit to its art style. There's, there's a lot of different gameplay elements to this to this game. Yeah, it's a really weird game. It is, and it's... I'd say it's mostly a top-down RPG, but then yeah, you've got elements of kind of um, old shooters like uh, like Contra or something about it, where the screen gets completely filled up with bullets and you've got to do your best to avoid them, and a lot of the time you just can't. And Undertale's got an aspect of that in this game, but you can really tell when you play it, especially if you've got a background knowledge. Um, of gaming particularly from the 80s and 90s you can really see where it's drawn a lot of its its stuff from i mean what what would you say about that what technically i know it's an rpg but 
I feel really hesitant hesitant to call it an RPG, even though I know it is. It feels to me more like a, an adventure game, something yeah. close to. I mean, it doesn't feel a thousand miles away from uh, Links to the Past that we played recently. Yeah, I've um, I I think it's to that as well, and Link's, Link's Awakening in particular. Yeah, well, that that's what I was going to say. I was going to say it's even closer to Link's Awakening because Link's Awakening is a really really quirky Zelda game and full of these kind of odd <laughs> happenings and this game's like that as well um it's got a, a leveling system it's got kind of like uh random rpg battles but they're not really i mean they're not really taxing and they're not really that common um and the emphasis on of the game is not to level up um it's it's a really odd game i mean it reminds me of there's another game on the Switch called Golf Story. Yeah. And that was this quirky golfing sim. <laughs> and, and, it, and it really reminded me of that. I mean, it's just really random. Um, this game is more about, less about the, uh, I mean, you'd never say this game is about the battle system um, or fighting enemies. This is all about the experience, isn't it? Experience, experiencing this weird and wonderful world. And... Um, so I, I would say, yeah, I, it, I know technically it is an RPG, but I'd say it's, it's to me, it brings to mind more like an adventure game. Also, I checked as well, apparently it is closer to a 16-bit game because um, you're able to move in different directions than you would be able to in, a, in, a, in an 8-bit game, apparently. I That's see. according to someone on the internet, so take that with a pinch of salt, I don't know. I think I think it's interesting what you say there that it's very much an experience this game and obviously with what it is it's very clearly a video game but there are certain games that you play and I've mentioned it a few times before on this podcast that you walk away from some games feeling something and you can't always quite put your finger on what it is but I think that there are a lot of elements in Undertale that really give you a feeling of you've been on I, I don't know I'm I'm hesitant to say a larger journey but there are a lot of elements in this game that kind of feel like it's bigger than the story that it puts out in, in front of you if that makes sense yeah I get that I mean it's it's a really short game I think I completed it in about six hours maybe maybe less than that even and again it's at odds with this idea of what we have of RPGs which are big sprawling massive adventure game or uh, rpgs and um i mean it's got rpg elements in the same way golf story has um but yeah it definitely feels like a slice and what it does a really 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 good job of is convincing you that there's a world beyond this vertical slice of game that we're playing um you believe in the human world beyond and you want to see it and you want to see where he's come from. Um, you want to see what... So so basically, you're underground. And underground is a, is a place where a bunch of monsters live. And the humans live above ground. And the monsters are trying to harvest human souls so that they can break into the human area and take over. Um, you're a human within the monster zone and they want to harvest your soul to get to the human area um but this underground area you, you feel like 
you're only seeing such a small part of it and it's it's really interesting because it does have quite a basic art style it looks great but um you really feel like your imagination is doing the rest of the work mm. yeah i'd agree and there's there's a very strong morality system and you've kind of touched on the location of this game and the, the basic story is that there was this huge war many years ago between humans and monsters the monsters lose the humans seal them in this world underground and as you said to get out the monsters have to harvest seven souls to break through the barrier to then go back out to the human world and ultimately what they want to do is overtake but the way that the game ends it's got a few different endings and you and me didn't have time to, to complete all the endings before we could get this podcast out. I think we both chose the same routes because there's, to my knowledge, there's three routes that you can take with this game. The pacifist, the genocidal and the neutral. And I'm pretty sure that you and me both did neutral. Am I right? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. I had neutral. Um, yeah, I... I I was sparing as many monsters as I could, but yeah. um, by the point that I started sparing them, I'd already Killed a lot <laughs> taken out a few monsters. Well, that's yeah. it. And this game tells you from the get-go that you don't have to kill things. But it, as a gamer, especially in a game like this, especially in an RPG-style game, it's your your first instinct is when a battle comes up, you, you kill the, the enemy and then you, you get the experience points and you leave. But... Undertale's got a very different kind of setup where you can get into a fight with monsters, but you can also um, talk to them. And that could be anything from threatening them to hugging them to talking to them to flirting with them until you get to a point where they'll just leave. So you've spared them. And each of the endings in the game will change dependent on your acts through the 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 journey so me and dan both got the neutral ending and i won't spoil the ending for anyone that hasn't played this game because i think it's very much a game that needs to be experienced it does feel like a journey and there's there's a line because i I only finished this game about two hours well not even two hours ago (laughs) (laughs) 10 minutes ago as usual and um there's a line right at the end when you're about to head into um, King Asgore's th- throne room to kind of have a, a showdown with him and you go into this house that's a kind of a carbon copy of the house that you first go into at the start of the game that's owned by a goat yeah. called Toriel and in the, the first house you can go and look in the mirror and it says something like it's you but then at the end of the game you go back in and you go to that same mirror and you see your reflection it's still you yeah it's despite everything it's still you and I really yeah. like that line because it gives you the impression that this character who is, I think, unnamed, might have a name in law, but I didn't come across it in the game. But this character's been through something really, I don't know, just big. Been on a journey. Yeah. And, you know, this kid's seen a lot of things and a lot of stuff's happened to them. But despite everything that's happened, it's still you. And... I don't know, it it gives me a bit of a feel of... There's a few things in this game that hop out to me that scream about supporting people with mental health. And I don't know, like mental health problems, I don't know if you'd agree, 
but there's a lot of, there are a lot of characters in this game that just feel like they're hopeless and they feel depressed and you can I mean you can choose to be awful and genocidal to them or you can you know offer to help them or offer to hug them and I think that that's a running theme through this game that there's there's something underlying to do with helping people and mental health I, I don't know do, do you agree what what do you think about that yeah there's definitely there's a melancholy to the game yeah. and there's also a warmth to the game and it's this kind of loosely defined thing that I suppose you're left to interpret in your own way. Um, something that really struck me about the game is it reminds me of a kind of 2D Pixar game. Yeah. Um, it's that creativeness... I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of Monsters, Inc. Because you've got this cast of monsters that you couldn't imagine. But they're all... They're not bad people. They're they are just... They're basically just monsters that are friendly. Yeah. And what they do to the character is they don't always set out to attack the character. Um, they set puzzles for the character. And a lot of the game you're solving these uh, quirky puzzles. And I think also the there are some really touching moments in there as well. Like there's the fight with, uh, what's her name? Begins with you. Udine, Undine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Undine, I think it is. Um, yeah. So there's the fight with her and you're gradually whistling away her health. And throughout that, she's trying to battle on and you've got this really dramatic music playing and you've got to, just keep going and it's really quite heartrending and uh, at the end as well when you find out the story of uh, King Asgore and the fact that him and his wife and his son took in a monster oh no a human yeah, sorry human. and and then uh, the human died and they tried to return the human to the human world and the humans attacked the monsters it's just um really quite powerful interesting routes go down but i'm, I'm curious with um undine did you did you did you kill her um i can't remember what i did to undine um i, th I mean if, if i had the opportunity to spare her because what happens is their names go yellow yes. um when you can spare them and if it gave me the opportunity to do it i would have spared her but sometimes with your attacks um you do too much damage and you can't spare them by that point yeah um, but i can't remember what, what i did with her to be honest i um what i did is because the way that you fight undine is that she'll kind of stop your heart from fleeing but then when your heart turns red again you can leave so you can run away and i think you run about three times um three or four times and then she chases you into the area called the hotlands and she collapses because she's wearing so much armor that she overheats and you can there's like a, a water cooler around the corner and you can just fill up some water and give it to her and then she leaves and then you can go back to the main town um papyrus who's one of the characters who's this weird skeleton who's named after a font yeah. for some reason um he's like oh let's go and see undine you can hang out with her it'll be really fun and then papyrus jumps out a window when you're alone with undine and you, you go on a date with her is it's, it's so weird it's so bizarre but 
that that shows that no playthrough is the same because I'm. It sounds like you probably got a very different ending for Undine than I did because I spared. Yeah. Her so uh, with with mine, I think she must were. have. So she must have died. Um, and what you got was Papyrus, and uh, there's the scientist as well. Yes. And they kept referring to her, saying how she wasn't answering their calls, and it was quite um, it's quite sad, quite poignant. Yeah. Um, the fact that. I mean, it, there's there's other points in the game. I mean, there's the the, the dogs as well. Yes. Um, I didn't want to kill them, and they kept attacking me, so I had to kill them. And then all the characters talk about how nice those dogs were, and you've just killed them. And yeah, that they're asking where they've gone. These people don't come back, and there are people that remember them. So there's a sadness that's throughout. And I suppose when I'm talking about this Pixar idea, it's it's this idea of it's it's the same kind of story structure and this um, testing the lines of good and bad and it's really quite interesting. It reminds me of um, either, like I say, Monsters Inc. or something like Tangled. It's uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's it, it it sticks with you and I think this is a game that I'll probably be thinking about for quite a few days after completing it today. It's I, th- I think there's a lot to unpack with it, but for different reasons than a game such as The Last of Us Part Two, they're, they're, oh, yeah. they're very different in terms of what you would unpack from them. But there's something there to think about, I think. Um, and yeah, yeah, and and it's a game, as you say, that's full of secrets. I mean, yes. there's lots of stuff that I found in the world that I tried to do, but I didn't know how to do. Um, so I just thought, okay, I'll move on. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll end up coming back here. But you don't end up going back. Um, there's like the door with the four... Um, it's like the cave door. And it's got four mushrooms outside. Mm, and yeah. they say something about it never being uh, opened. And then someone tells you a story about someone's voice being heard beyond there. Um, but then it never came up again. So there's obviously something about that door. Um, it's just full of these things that... I can imagine. I, I can imagine it, it can take much longer than we took to play it. But if you if you're just going through it, and I mean, I was going through it at a steady steady pace. I wouldn't say I was rushing it, um, but I imagine it can take some time longer if you're really going through trying to uncover everything. If you know how to, um, I mean, sometimes it doesn't tell you how to do things. So it's, I suppose, learning yourself or looking online. I think. From looking at it, I imagine a pacifist run of this game would take a lot longer than a neutral or genocide, or the genocidal run probably wouldn't take much time at all. But no. the pacifist run, I reckon you could probably almost double your gameplay time on it. I reckon it could take you upwards of 10 hours, if not a little bit more. Yeah. There are a lot of ways to play this, and it's one of those games, I think, very similar to, um, to the Hitman series that begs replay to find out different ways of doing things because I think stuff can change and you can you can experience different things by the way that you play it and the style that you play it in. So I think that's probably a big element as to why this game is on this list because it's got such high replay value. But the point that we come to now is the usual gameplay is king where we ask ourselves two questions and the first one being, is this game fun? It's fun. <laughs> but not necessarily because of the gameplay. It's fun because of the world. It's fun because of the, the writing. funny, 
interesting, charming characters that you meet. It's fun because the world is so colourful and diverse. It's a great place to get lost in. Um, fantastic soundtrack, like I said. But I think the battle system, which consists of uh, taking turns and when it is your enemy's turn to attack, they send objects at you and you've got a small box and you've got to move around the box with the analog stick and dodge the objects. And if you can do that, um, you might take some damage or you might avoid it completely. Um, and that's how damage is done to you. That's basically the gameplay here. And there are some variations of that. There are some twists of that. Um, but that's kind of the bulk of it. It's quite simple and it's enjoyable for what it is. But I don't think this game is in the top 100 because of its gameplay. No. I think the gameplay serves this this everything else that's in the game, this, this world building. Um, so the game's fun, but not because of the gameplay, but the gameplay serves the game. Uh, I've got nothing against the gameplay either. Yeah, I'd echo that. The, the gameplay, it can be quite frustrating sometimes, especially right at the end. Um, I mean, particularly in a lot of the um the battles where you just feel you can't avoid the enemy's attacks and it can feel a little bit unfair sometimes and i heard you just chuckle when i mentioned the end when you um have yeah, yeah. the final fight with flowey the flower um yeah. it's it, it can be incredibly frustrating so i'd probably echo you on saying that the game is fun but not because of the gameplay because of all of the other elements as well as the gameplay this game is fun yeah um and it's to be experienced i think um how about your favorite move i, I suppose that's a, not a bit of a an absent question because you don't really have many moves you can do but what what was one of your favorite things to do in the game there are the boss battles there's only a few of them in the game there's a handful of them in the game and as you say they kind of ramp up the difficulty the bosses feel like at times um bullet sponges even though obviously it's not bullets but they feel like they've got a load of health and you're just kind of trying to get that health down and dodge their attacks but there's some really interesting stuff that goes on in the boss fights and they do take this formula of um this box and avoiding attacks and they do some interesting things with it um there are like blue attacks which you can if you stay still you dodge them. There are there are orange attacks that if you move, you dodge them. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, so, I mean, it, it's really hard to say what a favourite move is in a game like this, but um, I just enjoyed, despite some of the frustration that comes from the boss battles, I think they're great to experience and they're the game at its best. Like, Meta, what's, what's it called? Meta Metatron. Metatron, that's it. Uh, the different the different battles with Metatron. He battles you in a quiz for one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, it, it throws some interesting curveballs at you. Um, but I wouldn't say there's one thing specifically that was like, okay, this is a really cool move because there aren't moves in the same way. Um, how about you? Yeah, I, I don't really know how to answer the question because like we say, there aren't really moves in the game. I think... I don't really know how to answer it because there were certain elements of the boss fights that I didn't really like and there were some cool concepts in the in the battle 
area. But I think overall my favourite move was to be to talk to each of the enemies when I wasn't killing them to try and find out the ways to talk them down and to get them to stop fighting because I think it's a really cool concept for a game is to you know find out ways to win the fight without actually fighting or defeating the enemy and you don't really see that in many games you see games with you know moral questions that the very classic um of the the walking dead games of lee will remember that clementine will remember <laughs> that yeah and it, it has an effect but i think my favorite thing about this game would be my favorite thing about the game is the characters but in terms of the favorite kind of thing in the game that you do is probably working out how to you know peacefully get your enemies to back off overall i'd say but that also brings me in to ask you who who, who was your favorite character um i know lots of people say sans but i think it's got to be equal pl- i don't know actually that there's a lot of good characters it's it's amazing that this small game can deliver more memorable characters than a sweeping epic triple a game um to me and sans and papyrus brilliant both of them really funny (laughs) um the little scientist really funny as well uh metatron really funny and and just yeah it's just a really quirky cool cast um my gut said i like sans but my gut said papyrus just because he's so complicated (laughs) yeah it's just unusual and i mean these characters are not characters that you see traditionally in games this this is a this is a really subversive game you said about um being able to talk people down yeah that's a really interesting concept now video games since the outset were always about defeating something um you look at mario you're jumping on mushrooms heads and you're getting to the goal um there's always an element of defeating something. And this is why this idea of having battles and combat and and uh, different moves that you can do, this is, this is where it comes from. And it's just evolved and evolved. But you very rarely get games that walk a different path. Now, this game doesn't entirely walk a different path, but it does subvert that path so that you presume that you are put into a battle situation you get the battle music you get the enemy and it's your job to defeat the enemy you're trying to think that as a gamer aren't you that's your yeah especially yeah yeah and what this game does is 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 gives you you a, a possibility to not do that and it's it's kind of i mean it is successful in that i mean i don't i don't think it avoids i don't think it takes a different path I don't think it finds, like, you don't get games about, I don't know, um, sitting at a computer or something. Things that could be interesting, but people haven't worked out how to turn them into gameplay yet. That was just a really bad example, but off the top of my head. Um, But you do obviously get games about defeating things. And a lot of the core parts of this game are built around that, but kind of subverting it. So I wouldn't say it avoids it entirely, but it does subvert it. Um, in some interesting ways and I think it should be lauded for that because if we looked at all the games in this top 100 list apart from the sports games and the extreme sports games and maybe some of the arcade races I mean even something like burnout takedown it's about taking down enemies (laughs) 
I mean, I know burnout wasn't originally about that, but it's built into a lot of games, this idea of defeating people. So I wonder how many games would be about that in this top 100. It's a very interesting concept, so I don't think... It's obviously there are games and there are simulators that, you know, do take you on journeys where you don't have to destroy or, or defeat anything. But they're a lot fewer and further between than games where you go and save the day, you go and save the princess, you go and save the world, you go and save the princess, you know? Yeah. These, these games are, are a lot rarer. Um, so it is an interesting concept. And I mean... I, I, I really like Papyrus um, and Sans, and I know that Sans has become kind of the poster boy for yeah. Undertale, and he's been memed quite a lot. But overall, I think my my, my favourite parts of the game were when you were with Metatron, and oh, like yeah. you say, you battle with him where he, you're in a quiz and he asks you some questions, and then the next time you see him, he's doing a cooking show. And then <laughs> yeah. the time after that, it's... Um, what stage show yeah the stage show and i don't know why but i just found it really funny that every time he saw you he was calling you darling i, I don't know oh, it's funny i don't know why it's, it's genuinely funny <laughs> it's it just... is and it's just this weird robot that wants to kill you there's like okay darling so you're going to die now <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's, it's so just bizarre. like really really quirky offbeat humor and yeah Yes. I, I find that really funny. I mean, I suppose this game, if if you're into that kind of humour, this game will really appeal to you. But if that's not your cup of tea, then you could really hate this game. Um, so you've got to enjoy that kind of humour because the humour is a big part of the game, I think. Well, the, the fact of whether or not this game would be your cup of tea or not, I think brings us quite nicely to the question of the week which you've come up with um, this week. So would you like to ask the question of the week? Yeah. Now, a bit of background. Um, so when we were playing The Last of Us Part 2, obviously we were playing it at the time of release and a bunch of reviews came out. And one thing that caught my eye was someone did a review of the game, but they'd not actually played the game. They'd watched someone else play it. So they were reviewing it as this kind of story and obviously the gameplay woven into that, the atmosphere and all this stuff. They were reviewing it from the perspective of someone that was watching rather than someone that was playing. And it's got me thinking about kind of the, the YouTube world that we live in. Um, I've watched people play games. Um, I enjoy watching DSP <laughs> mess up on games. That's great fun. Watching him play Dark Souls and horror games, and yeah, it's great. So I've watched people play games, and sometimes I'm in the mood where I want to watch someone do something more than I want to play it. And I was just wondering, bearing in mind what we said about the the the, the combat, the battle system, the gameplay, is this a game that's better watched or played? What do you think? I think it's a game that's better played, but if you weren't that bothered about experiencing it firsthand, you could easily just watch a playthrough of it. I think that would be a, an okay way to experience it. But I think, like we've just been saying, you you get to know these characters, particularly characters like Papyrus and Sans, and you kind of grow with them a little bit. 
and you get used to them and you enjoy having them round or you enjoy the interludes where Papyrus will just randomly give you a call. And I think just watching a playthrough of this game, you'd still get a lot from it, but I don't think that you'd get as much because you're not having that first-hand experience. And if you're not particularly bothered about first-hand experience, you just kind of want to see what the story is, then yeah, I think you, you wouldn't lose too much by just watching a playthrough of this game. But I'd always push someone that you know likes the concept of the game or has heard of Undertale and has heard it, it sounds pretty good to play it rather than watch it because I think you can take a lot more from it that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I agree with you. I, I think it's a game that should be experienced. What you get when you're watching someone else play is a second-hand experience. So if you're watching a horror game, for example, you're you're watching them play the game, you're watching their reactions, and you're watching them jump at the jump scare, and you think, you might be thinking while you're watching that, oh, I could deal with that. And then you go and play it, and you do the same thing. Because it's not the same, there's something inherently different about viewing from a second uh from a second hand and first hand experiencing it first hand um and i think this is a game to be experienced first hand um it's i think you can get some of that from watching it but i think you do need to experience it but i think i think what what kind of got me thinking about that question was because I think gameplay is somewhat de-emphasized in this game. So it just got me thinking. Uh, so what I would say to extend that further is what makes a good game to watch along rather than play along? I, I don't know really. I think I think there's an argument to say well every game is better to play than to watch. But it just depends on the kind of person that you are. I mean if if we look back to I don't know 2012 2013 when you and me were at uni we used to watch quite a lot of playthroughs together and we'd occasionally watch videos yeah. of pewdiepie playing through a horror game or something to, you know to laugh but then occasionally we'd watch other stuff as well or watch gameplay of games that we knew or watch gameplay of other stuff and i think the good thing about having that there is it makes it accessible makes games accessible to people that don't necessarily or wouldn't necessarily be able to get access to the games that they really want to play i mean i remember in 2004 when metal gear solid 3 snake eater came out and i really wanted it but i just i mean i was a teenager i couldn't afford it and now that game comes out today and i really want to see what happens in the story i could just watch it on youtube so i think there's an argument for gameplay and walkthrough videos to exist because it makes it so much more accessible to the people that may not be able to gain access to that game and i think that the more people that gain access to the stories they love or the games they like even if it's not playing at first hand i think that's an inherently good thing because it means more people get to experience these things and appreciate them but i think you have to take it with a pinch of salt as well in saying that if you enjoy games and you can afford to pick up these games or you've got access to them in ways of not just watching them, then you should always try and experience it firsthand, you know? Yeah, and I think what makes a good game to watch is to have those things. Because, again, you're not 
most of the time you're watching the person playing and you're either watching them get frustrated at the difficulty or you're watching them being scared by the jump scares. So there has to be something to react to within that game. If you're watching a Last of Us 2 playthrough, it could be you're watching the shock um, as the various story beats play out. Um, one, one, one game that comes to mind, I, I've not watched or played anything for this game, but I know that it got a really big following um, of being watched, and that was, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, um, Doki Doki Literature, Literature Club. Yeah. And this it's kind of this horror story. It's not, um, as far as I know, it's not super gameplay heavy. And watching along for this story, it was very popular at the time. Um, I mean, I would like to play it at some point. But yeah, I agree with you. For me, if I'm interested in a game, I'm always going to go out of my way to play it. If I'm not so interested in a game, but I'm kind of half interested, that's when I would watch someone play it. But yeah, if it's a game that I'm really interested in, I would steer clear of it like the plague. I wouldn't want to watch someone else play it because I would want to experience that firsthand well, it's just a really interesting concept isn't it the thing is as well streamers and let's players also bring games back into prevalence so i know that you've not really played it but i've played a fair bit of among us and i've played it with a group of friends and that game came out about two years ago i think and it didn't really go anywhere and then a few people streamed it and it took off and now it's huge and I think that that's another inherently good thing about streaming is that it can bring games that maybe wouldn't be seen high in the public eye into the mainstream. And I think there are arguments to be made as well for games like Fall Guys, perhaps. I don't think Fall Guys would have been as big as it was if it wasn't for things like YouTube, for things like people to watch it or to stream it and communities to get involved via Twitch, you know? Yeah, I mean... We spoke about Fall Guys, then I watched some gameplay of it, I watched Jim Sterling play a bit of it, and then I picked it up, mm. and then we played it. Um, I mean, we probably fell off quite quickly in the grand scheme of yeah, things, we but really enjoyed it for that period of time that we played it. And there was someone who recently came out, I think it was a director at uh, Google Stadia, and well, yes, that's, what, what, he's, that's say, what he said yeah. on... And he said about, um, about how... Uh, streamers should pay for the rights to stream games um, but what he fundamentally misunderstood was the fact that they are freely promoting your game games like Fall Guys wouldn't do as well as they did without that free promotion because a lot of smaller games don't have the money for that um, promotion so to see a game all over Twitch or YouTube or wherever else I mean that's that's huge for them um, so I think that's a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding of it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really interesting time, especially in 2020 when everyone's at home, um, where digital games are increasing. I bet video streaming has gone through the roof. Um, it's a really interesting time to look at how gaming has developed and the interesting ways it's developed in, because this wasn't a thing in 2000. And now it's this massive massive thing yeah which is weird it is and it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next kind of five ten years the final question to do with undertale is did the critics get it right like we've said this game comes in when we recorded the top 100 list uh this game came in at number 97 with an aggregate score on the switch of 93 so it's only just in the top 100 but did the critics get it right <laughs> 
It might even be out of the top 100 as we speak. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I haven't checked in a while. Um, yeah, so I think they, they did get it right. I think it does deserve to be in the top 100 for a few reasons. Um, one, that it brings representation to the list, which is dominated by these big budget AAA games. Um, two, because it's just a, a great experience. It's just something that, when I think about it, I don't know, it makes me feel warm <laughs> and glad that I experienced it. Yeah. Um, now, you talk about placement on the list, I think probably it's about right near the, the, near the tail end of the top 100. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it deserves to be anywhere near the top 10, for example, but I do think it's got its place. Um, and yeah, I think that about sums up my thoughts on it um how about you yeah i'd agree i think it's got its place on this list it's a very weird game it's a very quirky game but not because of the gameplay but because of everything else this game has absolutely got a place on this list and like i said uh sorry like like you just said i agree with you in that it kind of gives me a bit of a feeling of not safety but it makes me feel a little bit warm and i completed this game on a neutral playthrough and i think i'd not immediately but i'd go back and play this game again as a pacifist so that's how i like to play games usually whenever there's an option for a trank gun or something i'll always go for that i I try and do you know non-lethal runs of games and i think this is a game that i'd go back to because i think there's a still a lot of legs left in it after the first run through and Maybe I wouldn't have said that. Maybe I would have been said. Maybe I would have said, "Yeah, I enjoyed it." Probably wouldn't go back to it. But there's that one line that I said towards the beginning of this podcast that makes me want to go back to it, and it's the line in front of the mirror that I mentioned a moment ago, where the line is, "Despite everything, it's still you." And I don't know why, but that line really struck something with me. It really struck a chord. And it makes me want to go back and, and play more. I just just want to just want to add. Um, I don't want to go back to it, but not because of anything that the game did wrong, mm. or anything that I disliked, but more because there's something a bit magical about this game, and yeah. I enjoyed it on this playthrough, and I don't want to spoil that. So sometimes I think it's okay to say I've experienced it. I've got those memories. Now I'm going to let those memories sit and leave it alone. Um, so for me, that's what I think I'll do with this game. It reminds me a bit of Grim Fandango. We we both loved aspects of Grim Fandango, which were the quirkiness, the art style, the um, character work, the voiceovers. And it's like Grim Fandango, but without some of the more frustrating elements. So, yeah, I think I'm going to let Sleeping Dogs lie with this one and just um, let it be in my memories. It fills you with determination. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. That's great. Yeah, I love that too. It's, uh, yeah, it's a quirky little thing. But yeah, I think it, it deserves its place. And I'd say, same as you, it's it's about in the right position. So, yeah. I think I'll probably go back to it and maybe in a future episode I might mention again if I played through it again and if I still feel the same. Um but yeah, I enjoyed this one. It's been it's been an experience. Yeah, I have. 
I think is is the way for me to sum it up. It's been an experience. So yeah, that's Undertale. Um, we've got a bit more info for you in regards to the coming weeks. So we're going to reveal to you our next game. But as well as that, we're putting a poll together which we want you to vote on to vote what game we're going to cover for our game coming out on the 3rd of December. So firstly, Dan, would you like to reveal what game we're doing next? Because it's your choice. Yeah, so the next the next game is going to be my choice. And then after that, um, it will be the game that you, you the listener, have picked um, for the episode. So uh, my choice for the next game is going to be 2005's PS2 game, god of war yes so not the not the remake we're not quite there yet we'll play for it through the first two god of war games that are on the list before we get to the the remake from a couple of years ago so that episode should be coming out in a couple of weeks on the 26th of november however i mentioned well we both mentioned a moment ago that we're going to put a poll together so what we're going to do is we're going to open a poll the day after this episode goes live so the poll will go live on Twitter on the 13th of November and it will be open for seven days. So the poll will be open from the 13th of November to the 20th of November on our Twitter page. And if you don't follow us on Twitter already, our handle is at the long short of. And we'll pin the tweet to the top of our feed so you can find it quite easily. And you'll have a choice of four games for us to cover. Um, two which I've chosen to put on the list and two which Dan has chosen and whichever game gets the most votes by you the listener will be the game that we cover for our episode releasing on the 3rd of December so the two games that I've decided to put onto this poll for you to decide from are Celeste and Oblivion and what were the two that you've chosen Dan? Uh, So Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic for the Xbox and the original SSX for the PS2. You've got a week from tomorrow on the day of release, so from the 13th of November, to go to our Twitter page and vote for which game you'd like us to cover after we've done God of War. So yeah, that about sums it up, I suppose. Um, As usual, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can email us at the long and short fit podcast at hotmail.com. And just to note, we had our first email from a listener um, last week, which was really nice. Um, I think it made us both smile to uh, yeah, definitely to, to get a message from a listener. So that was um, that was really nice. If you're listening now, you know who you are. And yeah, if you want to find a video version of this podcast, you can find us on Dan's YouTube channel, The Subtext, where there will be some gameplay of Undertale in the background. But yeah, anything to add from you before we finish? No, I think that's it. No? Okay. Well, we will see you on the next episode then for God of War. Until then, remember to be filled with determination. And yeah, (laughs) we hope you have a good couple of weeks. Cheerio. Yeah, see you on the next one.